we are back. We took a couple of weeks off, but we are back. I'm coming to you fresh out of the COVID ward. My man Bo's with me this evening. Well, at least I think he is. Bo, are you there? We're still here, Jason. How many times is this that you've gotten COVID now? 342. So my plan here is to get every variant, and then I should be a walking case study for the medical community. That's what I'm trying to do. Uh, Some people say it's dangerous. I say I'm undefeated. How do you feel about it? Uh, that's a bold statement, you know. <laughs> just gonna, you know, I would hate to go through all iterations of uh, COVID, and then all of a sudden, monkeypox is what brings you down, though. You know, so I, well, uh, I wouldn't I, rest on my laurels if I was you. I will stay vigilant. I will stay vigilant <laughs> just for you. <laughs> uh, well, man, it's good to be back. I tell you what, we we had some racing at Donington and at Autodrome Moss with World Superbike. We had uh, a race this past weekend at Brainerd with Moto America, and we've got a lot of stuff happening off track. Uh, so, I mean, you you ready to jump into it? I'm excited to get back into it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I, be- I believe so. We want to pause at, uh, real quick, just a second, though. I do want to mention, uh, you know, the uh, you know the reason that we took a couple weeks off was uh, we wanted to. Make some changes to the podcast, uh, bring a little bit better of a product to uh, you guys, the listener. Um, and with that, uh, I have to make a, a little bit of confessions um, about my own ignorance um, to the sound engineering portion of this podcast. And, that you know, a lot of our podcasts, if you go back through and you see how long they are, you know that we cap out at about 45 minutes. And um, that had to do with a lot of the file upload size that uh, that we could make. I couldn't go over a certain amount. Um, turns out that, um, your boy engineer genius here wasn't saving the format properly. So now we have fixed that figured it out. Um, thrown some fancy new intro music into it, as you heard, and some outro music that you will hear later. Um, but the most important part about this is that now we can bring you much longer uninterrupted and unfiltered opinions about how, uh, what we feel. So we know that that's really exciting for you guys. So I just wanted to uh, to pause and uh, make mention of that, Jason. Sorry. Well, I, I, I'm i happy that you mentioned it because mostly because we all know it's your fault. Also, <laughs> because uh, I think it will improve what we're doing here. And basically what we're doing is we're telling you we're taking this podcast more seriously without telling you we're taking this podcast more seriously. You guys have... Uh, that are listening or have kind of grown up with us. Like we had no idea what we were doing when we started 60 episodes, 65 episodes ago. So, and right. And we are still completely lost. But what I'm trying to say is we're learning. (laughs) Well, we're changing. We We know that, right? That's right. We're not doing the same thing again. (laughs) We're at least changing. (laughs) Right. right. We've at least started fighting, you know, the very definition of insanity. We're not doing the same thing over and over and hoping for a different result. So that's good. Um, but you know, before we get started tonight, I, I do want to mention, you know, uh, this wasn't a great week this past week for motorcycle racing. You know, we lost, um, Scott Briotti, who's been a long time privateer with Moto America in a crash at Brainerd. And we also lost a young rider, eight year old Mathis Ballon. He was a, a French rider, uh, in a crash in the O'Valley cup. Um, it, it, it is no good. It, it doesn't. 
it, it this sport is so dangerous and it can be so magical and so unbelievable but it can be just as heartbreaking and it's a polarizing sport it really really is and i i I don't want to hear about from the people that think the parents were crazy for letting their kid do it The, the kid was chasing his dream right and the parents were just trying to support it um and it's so unfortunate it was he was taken from us much too soon but you know he he was just trying to live his life and and sometimes people get taken from us too soon i mean the list is long um, Scott Briotti had quite the career um, as a privateer racer with AMA and um, with Moto America. He was 50 years old um, and still doing it, still yeah. loving it. Mm-hmm. And it's just testament to what happens when this sport gets in your blood and how you just can't stop. And there's there's truly, truly nothing like riding a motorcycle fast on track. I, I haven't found it yet. I haven't found it uh, there. I've done a lot of stuff, but you know, we just want to wish the families well and our thoughts and our prayers are definitely with the families of those, those people, you know, Scott and, and Mathis, uh, man, we hate to see that. But um, we also know that the, there's a consequence of the sport. And I want to get into that a little bit when talking about Moto America, um, to put it bluntly, I'm unhappy that they're going to Brainerd after seeing that track. I, I just, I, the second year in a row, I've, I've felt this way. I thought maybe they would make some improvements, but I, I just feel like that, that wall is just too close in so many areas. Um, but that's just me. Um, so, but we'll get into that later. Let's talk a little bit about World Superbike and what's been going on. Now, we didn't come on and talk after Donington where we saw Toprak kind of assert the fact that he's ready to fight for the championship um, and take the triple. You know, he wins both Superbike races and the Super Bowl race. Um, and that was my first inclination. And then into this week, I think the races for the world championship is between Toprak and Bautista. Um, I just don't think Johnny Ray has got anything for top rack in a dog fight. I mean, I just, Johnny backed off a move this weekend because admittedly top rack blocked the line and, and protected it, mm-hmm. but top rack would not have backed off. Yeah. And that's um, when, that's the moment I knew I was like, okay, so top rack will beat Johnny well, in a straight you know, up dog fight. So I don't, I don't think you're wrong, but I will make a comment that Jonathan, there was one particular turn where Jonathan Ray did outbreak Toprak into turn one, uh, one particular lap. He did. Uh, you know, he and did. I made note of that. But the problem with that is, you know, it's such a a milestone for Jonathan Ray to outbreak Toprak in one turn on one lap whenever you constantly see, now we're desensitized to Toprak outbreaking somebody, right? Um, yeah. So yeah. it's it's the problem is the fact that it's much more of an outlier for Jonathan Ray than it is for Toprak. Um, yeah, and, and uh, quite frankly, nobody can, can compete with a straight line speed of a Ducati. Um, you know, so <laughs> that, looking at track, that was crazy. Looking yeah. at um at Magni Core, you know, which is going to be coming up um on the calendar. You know, the Ducati down that back straight from turn three, I think, all the way is all the way around, all the way to sixth gear, and then coming down all the way into uh, first gear in that hairpin. Um, to me, that just speaks to both. Um, 
Alvaro Bautista and Toprak. You know, like there's no real. Yeah. And then unfortunately, you know, Ray, I think is going to be strong in the backside of that lap. Um, but, you know, Ray has to be in front to be able to exploit his bike strength on the backside of that lap, um, which is which is a little dangerous to me. It's a little concerning for me for the championship and as, as far as Jonathan Ray is concerned. Um, so I, I do think that we're going to see a swing probably in the latter half of the season uh, when Top Rack is going to take over the uh, uh, second place in the championship and then try to uh, mount a charge towards Alvaro Batista. Absolutely. I, I, I do think that, you know, Bautista is on a bike. The, the straight line speed of that bike is just incredible mm-hmm. uh, with him on it. And the one thing that frustrates me, because I am a Johnny Ray fan, I, the one thing that frustrates me when I watch him race Top Rack is he, he will get past Top Rack, but he won't protect it two turns later like he's like he thinks he's got a gap. I, I think we've all seen Top Rack right enough, and you've raced him enough to know if there's a braking zone, Top Rack is going to come past you if you come past him. He's not going to wait. He's not going to do what you're doing. He's going to come right back past you. So I, I'm a little frustrated sometimes with uh, with Ray because he'll get in front of him, and then there'll be a heavy braking zone, and Ray will go to his normal line. Yeah. I, I think you have to sacrifice some speed there and get Top Rack so I think that's the part of I think that's part of the issue, you know. And I made the comment to you about the mid corner speed of the Kawasaki this weekend. Um, it's right. impressive. It, it is. It, it it's really just is simply impressive. So I think the fa- I don't think it's so much that Jonathan Ray is failing to protect the line. I think that's Jonathan Ray's attempt to put his bike in a position to exploit the strength of his bike. Unfortunately, Top Rack just doesn't want, like to follow anyone. And top right. No, he will not, not follow. follow. Yeah. He, he just does not want to follow. It's that simple. Um, and, and I but think d- top rack yeah. is a, I think top rack is a very aggressive rider. Um, sure. You know, and, and, you know, we, we talked this weekend a little bit and I think, uh, the comment that, um, you know, what it came down to was what I replied to you with was top rack was a better rider than Jonathan Ray and Alvaro Batista but Batista is a smarter rider than Top Rack is. Um, I think I think that Alvaro Batista knows his bike's strengths and knows the weaknesses. Alvaro Batista knows that Top Rack is an aggressive rider. Alvaro Batista knows that Jonathan Ray is a hungry rider again this year, and he also knows that Jonathan Ray has to find an aggression to be able to get out in front of Top Rack and to be able to build a lead. At which point he knows that Top Rack will not allow Ray to do that. So Alvaro Bautista just sits back in third place and bides his time as the race goes on and keeps his tire underneath of him and then makes a makes a play to first place and then just runs away with it. Right. Um, so, you know, there's, I, I there's a big you. chess match that goes on during these races, I think. And, and unfortunately, yeah. Alvaro Bautista has the best piece right now. Well, he does have the, by far, the, the straight line speed is such an advantage. You know, top rack's braking ability is his advantage, but... You know, to your point about the mid-corner speed of the Ducati, that's absolutely right, which is kind of the way the the Yamaha behaves in MotoGP. Mm-hmm. So when Toprak is in front of Johnny, he can't run his best lap time because Toprak's in his way. But my point to that is, like, you have seen this so much now, you have to stop. You have to stop trying to do it the way you th- think you've always done it. You know, get out front, let me run my lines, and then I'll be fine. You have to give yourself at least... A couple of corners, you know, knowing he's going to come pat, you have to protect it because 
it's just it has to be done because you're not staying in front of him. You're not. And then you can't get back past him. But in the end, I don't know that it matters because it seems like Toprak, no matter how hard he rides that bike all race, he's still got more tire than Johnny at the end of it. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and that's something that should be noted. I mean, Jonathan's actually riding the bike very well. And it's evidenced by there's no one else close to him except for Toprak and Bautista. Mm-hmm. And, and so... So it's not I don't think it's a failure on Johnny and I don't want to call it a failure for Kawasaki. I just think when you're in your career and you've been there as long as Johnny has, I, I think, you know, I, I just don't think he can beat Top Rack straight up anymore. I don't think it's possible. The the Yamaha is too good a bike and Top Rack is too good a rider. Um I think if Bautista leaves Ducati, I think Ducati falls way back again. You know what I mean? Because Rinaldi's yeah. not there, right? Right. So you know, so I think that's Bautista and his ability on the Ducati. But I just, it just became apparent to me that Jonathan Ray is working incredibly hard, but I just don't think he's got it. I, I just don't think he's got what it's going to take to win the World Championship this year. Um, obviously, if Bautista and Toprak start going at each other and crashing, uh, then that that changes. But I don't see that happening because I don't see either of them racing each other as hard as they're willing to race Jonathan Ray. You know, I, I just don't see yeah. it. Like they don't make the same hard passes on each other that they make on Ray. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if they know Ray's going to slide back. We don't need to, you know, except for Top Rack, who does it to everybody. Right, right. So it, it, it's a it's going to be interesting to watch the rest of the year. It is really good racing, though. It is really close, and they do fight it out. And so I do enjoy it. But I just had those thoughts. You know, I, I just think, well, I I think it's Top Rack and Bautista. That's where I'm at now. Um, I think and being so. a Johnny Ray I, fan, that's disappointing. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're going into, I think, the summer break for them, right? Um, after this mm-hmm. round, they've got a little bit. So. You know, I think I do think that the Kawasaki team's going to have to make a step in that summer break. They're going to have to find something with the bike, you know, to give Jonathan Ray a little bit more tire life, like you're talking about at the end of the race. Um, unfortunately, you know, like we're like we're talking, the mid corner speed of the Kawasaki is its strength, but that's also where it's going to chew a tire up much quicker as well. Yeah, and I really that's think right. That, you know, the top rack rides the Yamaha at least at this track at Most. Um, very much stop and go. It looked to me, you know, there were a couple. Well, of, he he know, rides it. That's how he rides because of his braking. He, right. I mean, that's you how know, he does and, it. Yeah. It's so much to the point of almost charging every corner. I think that, you know, that, that Yamaha I feel like could be faster on the edge of the tire, but it's not how they've got that bike set up for top rack. You know, they're exploiting that, that strength that he has on the brakes and the front end feel that he has. Um, and I think I made the comment to you too, as well, that I, I think that a Ducati with top rack on it, um, may very well be Ugh. a scary combination. Um, you know, I doubt yeah. we're going to see that in the future, but um, you know, we can we can wish and dream and just wonder what it might look like. Sure, but I do think that that would be um, a very be a very scary combination. I I really with the top speed, if they could make it break like he likes and be as balanced in the breaking the hard breaking zones, I how would you beat it? Yeah, how would you beat him? I, I, and the thing is, it's like I just watched Top Rack, and I'm thinking the whole time he is on the ragged edge. Yeah, but that's absolutely. just how he rides. Yeah, that's just how he rides, and, and he doesn't. It does not face him. He does not crash 
like I would expect him to crash. I would expect a lot of crashes out of a guy that rides like that. Yeah, but you really doesn't. wait on it as the as the uh, yeah. the day goes on. That's what you're waiting on is for him to go down. Just but you see but, how the bike gets out of shape going into corners. I mean, yep. it, it's on the front tire. The back tire is floating. Uh, you know, going into every brake zone. It's backing in left and right. I mean, it's yeah, no, it's it, it looks completely loose, but um, yeah, that's how he likes the bike apparently. Absolutely. Well, you know, in the past couple of weekends, you know, we've we've talked a lot about Ray and Rascat Diaglu and and uh, Bautista, but you know, BMW has yeah. a couple of podiums in the last couple of weekends. Yep. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal because when they were in Aragon, it looked like a dumpster fire over there. I mean, it was awful, and they have made some huge steps, huge. Um, and and all credit to them and to Scott Redding, who is. I mean, they're a consistent top five, and now if he gets the right jump and the right chance, he's putting it up on the podium. And so, all credit to them for that. What do you think? No, I believe so too. Uh, you know, Scott Redding, he's going through the process uh, with BMW, and he, he we've joked and, we, and we've talked before about you know Scott Redding being doom and gloom and and really wearing his heart on his sleeve. And, and to that point, you know, when he got the podium uh, this weekend. You know, I wanted to, we took time and I watched the race interview and, and it was, I, I was waiting on him to highlight the irritation that he had with Top Rack and the aggressive pass that he had with Top Rack, but he didn't. The only thing that he focused on in that interview was how BMW has made a positive step, how it's going in the right direction, how that they've got speed and how they're going to continue forward. And to me, that's a, that's something different than I've not normally seen out of Scott Redding. Uh, personally, you know, that, that was something of note to me was a different demeanor from Scott Redding and, and possibly something, you know, okay, he's clicking with this team and I think he's happy where he is, you know, even with the podiums, uh, with the Ducati that he was on, uh, there was always a sense of irritation and frustration and just things weren't good enough. And, you know, and, and we're talking about a podium, a world Superbike, you know, and now like you're talking about the beginning of the season, you know, Aragon was terrible. It, it was, you know, bad news. Um, and now looking at this round now where, you know, Scott Redding is, is happy. <laughs> you know, obviously they're making progress. The bike's working very well. It's, it's a, it's a fast bike. It seems like it's, it seems like a, a complete package. It, you know, it, it's getting there. It's not, yep. it's not the complete package, but it's a complete package that is continuing to become, you know, edge its way forward and forward and forward as it, as time goes on. I think it does a lot of things well. It's fast in a straight line. It looks like it's got great corner speed. It looks very stable with Scott Redding on the bike. Um, it's not out of shape. It's not loose a lot to me. Uh, it, it just looks like a very planted machine uh, to watch I, it being written. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I think the new swing arm has made a big difference. Um, so good on them for doing some engineering over there. Uh, but you, let's not forget that they don't even have their second rider. You know, Vandermark has been mm-hmm. injured uh, all year. I think he ran at Assen, and that was all. Right. Uh, but, it, you know, so hopefully they'll get him back and after the summer break and really start to do some real development because a fast BMW, because they are always one of the fastest bikes through the speed traps, um, a fast BMW with a rider like Redding and then Vandermark on there, they they might make some real noise. And it'd be nice because there's already three manufacturers for the top three. Right, it would, right. It, it'd be really cool to have four manufacturers fighting it out. I mean, that's 
that's a dream scenario for race fans, you know? Like you, yeah, you have yeah. And, a lot and, to know, choose from there. And, you know, Peter Hickman's not a slouch either. You know, we're talking about Peter Hickman that, that rides around the Isle of Man, you know, with his no eyes slouch. closed. It, you know, and has a history with BMW as well. Um, I think he's a good stand-in rider for Vandermark. I think he's going to bring some good data to them. He brings a different outlook, I think, to the bike, um, and not just circuit racing. You know, with the road racing, he can. I think he can bring a lot to translate to to what the suspension's doing. I believe so. It's good to have an, that outside opinion from Peter Hickman as he rides. I believe. Sure. But uh, you know, with the uh, the the steps that Honda's been making in the past couple of years as well with BMW now, like you're saying, to have this many manufacturers that are really starting to get close to one another. I think it's, it's great for the sport. Yeah, I, I, I think it is. And, and I'm just going to say it. The best racing out there is world Superbike and world super sport. I mean, it is it, it, taking away moto three moto three is great racing. Um, but man, the, the number of passes that happen in a race in world Superbike is pretty incredible. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, you know, so I'm I'm just I always love watching those races. It's such a it's such an interesting thing, and and I I just I'm waiting for the moment that Bautista and Razgatlioglu really start to go at each other. Um, that's what I'm waiting for. Now Bautista, you said it. He has been extremely smart with his riding this year. Maybe maybe he knows he he just doesn't need to attack top rack like Johnny does. Maybe he knows that. He's like, well, I don't yet. need to yeah, have it. I think he's, yeah. it, you know, he's, he's got a championship hold right now. Um, you know, he's 38 point he lead over that, top rack. Yeah. yeah. He knows that he doesn't have to do anything stupid right now. He, he just has to go out and get points, get good points and, and continue to do his job. Um, but you know, if there comes a point, you know, when we see, uh, Bautista go down, have a couple more DNFs. I think there is going to be a desperation that needs to set in and say, okay, I've I've got to buckle down. I need to start getting aggressive in certain areas. Right. But even then, I don't think he's going to throw the kitchen sink at top rack until it really has to Right, has I to don't happen. think so either. Well, and, and the thing is, you know, if we're going to go on past experiences, top rack just doesn't crash that much. He yeah. has a mechanical occasionally. He crashed in uh, Portimao last year, but that wasn't his fault. The uh, front fender came off and yeah, went under which, the tire. And, which I think know? he crashed a lot more whenever he rode for uh, Pachetti Kawasaki, I thought, too. He did. I mean, he seemed he like really he was did. such an unstable rider with them. But, the, you know, a lot of stuff changed when he went to the Yamaha team. It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting about how important uh, it is for the rider uh, to be on the right team in the right situation. We, uh-huh. I like to talk about this with my buddies that like other sports. You know, we talk about the people that get drafted as the number one draft pick and, and, and the situation that they go into and the people are like, oh, you're a bust. Well, you know, they try to put a square peg in a round hole sometimes just because this guy was so athletic and this unbelievable prospect. They thought, well, no matter what we do, he's going to be great. And that's not always the case. And, you know, for Top Rack, he found the right situation. Maybe it's uh, an engineer or a crew chief that said, let's try this to help you because this is the way you want to ride, so let's try this, rather than saying, don't ride the bike like that. It's not how it likes to be ridden. Yeah, you know what I mean? So Part of that could be contract, too, on the back end. You know, if there's pressure from the back side of things, if you're if you're struggling for a job, if you're trying oh, to sure, keep a job, sure. if you're worried about that job, you know, there's pressure. There's some anxiety there to perform. Um, you know, but the same thing to, to your point, you know, Scott Redding is another good example of that. You know, if Scott Redding is not yeah. messing with the team, you can really tell, you know, when he's not happy, you can see it on the bike, you see it in, in, in his face. Um, 
you know, in top rack, I think you see it more just on the bike. Uh, you know, you can see it in results. You can see in, in his attitude on the machine. Uh, but, uh, I mean, top rack on the bike just the, he shows no emotion. It's just, it's, it's, you know, full gas all the time. That's what you're going to get out of him. And I think that Yamaha has got a good, uh, got a good package with top rack. Well, and we got the news this week that, uh, our own Jake Gagne is going to go over with his bike. His Yamaha is going to go and compete in the Portimao round of world Superbike uh, after the season here in Moto America has closed up. So, all the things that you and I said that we wanted to see, well, let's find out. You know, yeah, let's find out how great Jake exposure. Gagne is. Well, it's going to be great yeah. exposure, not just for Gagne, but for the bike, too. You know, because we yep. see how strong that Yamaha is here in the States, and we know how strong Richard Stamboli is in the States, in Moto America. So to see how it stacks up against the World Superbike level of bike, uh, you know, at in, in their home turf, if you will, and then also with Gagne, um, I'm not sure how much experience he does have at Portimao, but um, he's been there. I'm sure, he's been he's there, been there you know, before a yep. few times. But um, yeah, yeah, it, it'll be good. It's going to be a good experience, good exposure all around. Um, hopefully, there may be some. Uh, I can I can dream if there's going to be any additional coverage from Moto America to at least mention that Jake Gagne is going to go over and to. To highlight, you know, highlights if it shows that race or whatnot, you know, I think that that would behoove Moto America to do that, um, to gain some attention to the world. Moto level America doesn't care about your feelings, to, just to elevate the sport all around. Um, and, and I know, I, I know that, I mean, Moto America is not about progressing. I think they're just about, you know, the good old boy system here in the states. Oh, making friends everywhere he goes. Yeah, Bo Winter, everybody, Bo Winter. So I, so I'm. Here's what I think, though. This is a double-edged sword for us. Because if Jake Gagne goes over there on his motorcycle that is very close already to the World Superbike spec, it's very Mm -hmm. close. I'm sure there are some small differences, but it is very close, and that's the way Moto America was set up. If he goes over there, and and he's got some familiarity with the track. He's raced there before uh, a few years ago on Nikki's bike after Nikki passed, uh, so he's definitely been on it. But if he goes over there, and this guy finishes at the back of the pack, that's going to hurt my feelings a little bit. And it's not going to be a great showing. But if he goes over there and he puts it up in the top 10, we're like, hey, this is why Jake Gagne is running away with it in Moto America, not because it's a terrible series, because Jake Gagne is a quality rider, right? So we saw him handing it to Loris Baz, and Loris Baz has been a consistent top 10 finisher. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really hope that Jake, uh, can do well, but if he doesn't, I will be a little sad, but they did say that they're going to get some technical assistance from Yamaha Europe, uh, to help them with the, uh, with the transition, because I'm sure, like I said, there are some things going to happen. Of course, they're running Pirelli tires. Right. So that was another thing that, you know, watching, uh, Moto America, and they were talking about the chatter that Danilo Petrucci is going mm-hmm. through. Um, and it's basically because the carcass of the Dunlop is so much stiffer than the carcass of a Pirelli. Right. And the World Superbike spec that that bike is based upon is, is used to having yeah. is a Pirelli. And therefore, the frame and chassis is much stiffer than the Yamaha that Gagne is riding. So 
I guess it really makes a big difference. And I don't know that I paid that much attention to it, but I, I, I'm seeing it now that it does. And the chatter that they're talking about, I'm starting to see it when Danilo's really hard on the brakes. Mm-hmm. It, it really sometimes does get him. Um, because he can break, he's he's basically the top rack of Moto America. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if there's a braking contest in Moto America, there's no is no comparison to what Danilo can do versus what everybody else can do. Um, but you know he's still struggling a little bit, and there, and that's why Warhorse is struggling a little bit to adapt the bike, I guess, to the Dunlops, which we'll get into later, and we'll talk about Moto America. But with Jake going to the Pirelli, now he's ridden it before, but their bike is set up for the Dunlop. Right. So yep. I'm very mm-hmm. curious to see what that translates into for Jake Gagne because, if, again, I just don't want Gagne to go over there and finish 24th, you know, um, because at that point he's familiar with the track, he's familiar with the bike, he's not, and he's familiar a little bit at least with Pirelli, but not the current Pirelli. He hasn't raced it in a while. But I, I really feel like Jake Jake Gagne is not going to get out front and do what he does, so we're going to have to see how he races. And that's going to be very yeah, interesting. And, and I have high hopes. Either. We're not seeing what Jake right. Gagne really has his elbows out and you know throwing yeah. passes and, and what he's willing to do in a race. Do you think he'll do that if necessary over here? Because he's on his bike. It's not someone else's bike that he doesn't want to crash. This is his bike, you know? So, so I think so, it is going to go – there is going to be a lot involved, um, uh, like you're saying, it, with the – uh, Pirelli adaptation of that bike, I think. So I think that Gagne is kind of going to tiptoe through Friday a little bit and then probably really come out swinging on Saturday um, to at least try to get a good showing in qualifying. Um, I, I'm hoping for Gagne to be in the top in the top 15. You know, something in points, I think, yep. is a positive showing uh, given, the, given the transition from um, a Dunlop to the Pirellis. Uh, you know, I think that's a big ask to say top 10, top 8. Um going directly from a Dunlop to a Pirelli, you know, in just a few span of a few weeks with not a lot of experience, not a lot of testing. Um, and you know, he could be doing some testing over here. I don't know if he's doing any track days with Pirelli's on to get used to that transition or not, or to at least get an idea of what it's going to feel like. Um, and then to look at, you know, maybe some tracks that he has put good times down with a Dunlop on the, on the R1 to see, okay, now here are my times with a Pirelli. Are they close? Are they off? Are they even better? Um, you know, I think that that could be something that that team might look at before they go over to Portimao. Um, I, I would, I would hope so. But then it all comes down to cost and time and what they can really dedicate to do that. I think that you know, if it could go one of either ways, um, like you had mentioned, you know, and it, it would, it would, it would suck um, if he does go over and doesn't perform very well. And I would be really curious what the uh, response from Yamaha would be. Uh, you know, would that warrant a a higher investment in Yamaha in Moto America to say, okay, you know, this bike is great in, in the United States, but it's not great on the world level. Um, so can we put more development and research into it in the United States to make it a better overall package so that Yamaha riders in the United States can have an easier transition at the world level if they get, if they can get to that point? Um, so I don't know, you know, if, if they're going to go that far into looking at that, but that would be my hope is that if there's a poor showing, then, um, there would be more resources put into the United States from Yamaha. Um, but if Jake Gagne goes over and has a good showing, then obviously their investments are justified. 
and then hopefully it would have actually the same effect as they would continue um, those investments in the United States. Because we saw that you know the Graves team pulled out of uh, of Supersport completely uh, as an official backer, um, and then now Attack is the primary um, Monster Energy Attack is is the primary sponsor for the Yamaha factory Yamaha team in Moto America. So um, uh, the goal in my eyes is just to get more exposure to Moto America and get more money into the sport at this level into yeah, the series. Absolutely. You know, well, so that's, that's, that's why we're sending want, Jake there you know? over there. Yeah. yeah. I say, I say they should send it and Ducati should send Danilo. Oh yeah. I, I, I think yeah, that would send everybody. Honestly, I think Danilo Petrucci really deserves that. And I think that we would like to see what the Moto America spec Ducati looks like against the world Superbike spec Ducati in a, in a straight up dog fight. You know, yeah. Daniel Petrucci's got experience at Portimao. He can race there. Let's see what he can do. Absolutely. Well, you know, and he's not, to be fair, he's not familiar with the Pirellis at all. He's never raced them. Jake has more experience than he does. But, you know, it, it will be interesting to see what happens at, at Portimao and, you know, and, and going forward because I'm, I'm curious to see if we've decided the world championship before we get there. Yeah. And, you know, we'll see. Um, but it looks like, you know, Toprak's digging in and he's going to fight right to the end. So we're going to find out, you know, just how good Bautista is because Toprak looks really, really good the last couple of weekends. But let's talk about Supersport for a minute. Now, at the UK round over at Donington, Dominic Agurter won, which he has been doing every time. In the first race at, uh, at Autodrome Most, Dominic Agurter was taken out in the first corner by Kenanchu. Uh, well, it wasn't directly by Kenanchu, but Kenanchu caused an accident that uh, knocked Dominic Agurter out. Right. So, subsequently, Dominic Agurter tried to lay on the ground and act like he was hurt so he could get a he red flopped. flag and get back over there. He flopped. He flopped. 100%. So, let's talk about that first for a minute. We, we know Baldessari won the race, yada, yada, yada. Now let's talk about something hilarious that we, I have never seen someone do at the race myself personally. What did you think about that gamesmanship from Agater? You know, it, it bothers me. If I'm, if I'm being honest, it bothers me. Um, Dominica Gerter is, Winning the ch- is is leading the championship by how many points? You know, uh, going into that round, and then you show up and that happens. You get taken out in the first turn. I understand that you're upset. I understand you want to go out and you want to compete. And you want to win. Look at the big picture a little bit. That's where I'm at with it. It's it, hard to it, do in that moment, though. Well, I don't. How long? Uh, hold on a second. No, and and that maybe if he was a younger rider, maybe if he was a teenager. Dominica Gerter's been in the paddock for a long time. Dominica oh, he knew Gerter exactly a, what he was doing. Yeah, Dominica Gerter. He made a decision. That was a conscious decision that he did. Yeah, no, it I, was. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't condone it whatsoever. I think that you know, I, I think that that was a childish move, and it was a, it, it was a pouty, you know, instantaneous knee jerk reaction that to me was was not sportsmanlike. Well. Because now, I, I mean, mean, you think I, I about see your it, point. If you lose that race, so okay, you've lost twenty five points in that race. You get Through up, no you take fault your, of your own, exactly. Yeah. You get up, you take your medicine, you come back Sunday morning, and race again, and and hopefully you gain five points back. Right? That's your that's your ideal situation. But you lose twenty five points, you go down. Your immediate well, reaction is to now flop. 
race well, direction listen. is upset with it and then yeah. kicks you out of race two. Which is so a way lost, big overreaction. So now you've lost. So I, I, I so the penalty is a different conversation. Right now we're talking yeah, about yeah, the choice of yeah. Vader. So now yeah. you have lost fifty points on the weekend instead of a possible twenty. Right. Yeah. So you. So there. That. That's my point. That's kind of where I'm driving that. That home to is. But he, there's no way he could have foreseen that they were going to make him not race the next race. No one's ever done that. It, the guy right, that but caused the accident a got decision. a long lap penalty. No, it was right, a poor right. decision. I give you that. But what I what I disagreed with, uh, well, so there's something else on the line there too. He was trying to set the record for most wins in a row, which would have been 12. So for him, you know, he was going to try everything he could do to get back in that race yeah. and win. Mm-hmm. Okay, he he chose poorly, but that's what he was doing. Yep. Okay. But the choice to kick him out of the race for that, I, I just I I was flabbergasted. I, I you did. So what's an appropriate? What's an appropriate? I think a grid penalty. penalty yeah, I think a grid penalty of a few spots. I I don't think this was something that was so egregious that you kick him out of the race. I do think it's something you set a precedent for. This is we yeah. don't have time for that because no one else is doing it. It's not it's not soccer. And so you said, okay, you, we're going to penalize you six grid places, but to not let him race at all, it, when in a, when he did that after a crash that was not his fault, if he would have crashed on his own and done that, I would I would have a much bigger problem with it. I, I don't mm-hmm. think it was the right thing, but this wasn't his fault. And so the guy that causes the crash that ends his streak and really hurts his championship lead. He gets a long lap penalty. He calls four dudes to crash. Yeah, I mean that's a dangerous crash. I mean people. It's get, a dangerous that's crash. That's a very so, dangerous section of the track. Which which brings me which brought me and I was like okay they gave him a long lap penalty are they going to grid penalty him next no that was just a long lap penalty but they kicked a girder out of the race I I just think I just think they're stupid. And we've said it before. <laughs> I, I, I just think this was the stupidest thing ever. I think he should have been punished. I don't think he should have been banned from the race. That was 100% someone getting their panties up in a wad. You can't do that. Blah, 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 blah. You know what else you shouldn't be able to do? Crash four dudes and get a long lap penalty. Let's be honest. Don't give me that's racing because you know who it was, and he does that a lot. He, he is way too aggressive yeah. a lot of the time. And unfortunately, it is starting to become very evident that the disciples of Safaglu race that way. They right. don't yeah. care about anything else. They don't care about your safety. All they have to do is win. And you know what? With the current governing body, that serves you well, as long as they like your mentor. Because it's the only reason you don't punish Janon Chu more than what you gave him this long lap penalty. Now... There's a lot of stuff happening going into turn one. I get it, but but, I, I'm but that's super, turn one. But, but that's the but so they have a turn one every new. race. Yeah, it's you exactly have to be right. Better. It's not new. The concept of turn one is not new when it comes to race. That's right. It, you that's know, exactly so, right. And that, and it's not just to race direction. That's to everybody on the grid. They've done it before. Right. These are professionals. Yeah. We're not talking about grassroots level first time. You know, no. club racing type stuff. These are guys that have career contracts that they're working on, and. No, they know what's going to happen in turn one. You absolutely know it, and I'm, and you know, like you said, 
through no no fault of his own, Dominic Agurda was wiped out. Um, that was a very very lucky crash um, for everyone involved. I think you know that there weren't any any bad injuries there, just because you get that much metal coming in together and you get that much soft tissue yeah. flying around. You know, yeah, people can absolutely. get hurt very quickly. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. And that's a choke point. You know, right there, that section of track. I hate that turn at Most. I, I really, it's yeah. great for TV. But to me, it is, it, it's terrifying to know when you saw, you know, uh, Scott Redding go straight on. You know, what if yeah. Scott Redding ha- yeah. outbroke himself on the inside line and somebody turned in? Oh. on him? You know what I mean? Pinball. So stuff Pinball. like that yeah. happens, you know, and it's it's just such a dangerous area. Um, so, no, I, I think the, like you said, the uh, Sofoglianites, um, as they come into turn one, it's always their goal to be the last on the brakes. Um. And, and it is unfortunately it, it's at the cost of others sometimes. And sometimes I I don't mean that Chanachu wrecks people all the time. I just feel and like certainly he's not overly aggressive. Yeah, a lot. it's certainly not on purpose. It, it's just no, the, it's not. the tunnel vision aggression of some of the Turkish well, and top rack rides that, the exact same way, yeah, and so absolutely. does Dennis. Yep. So does Dennis, and 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 they do it from time to time. And to your point, it's a great way to describe it. It's tunnel vision of I have to get past this person, not weighing it out like like we do supposedly at a track day if there's any doubt in your mind you shouldn't do it at a track day right but for them it doesn't matter if they're like no way i make this turn i still got to do it you know what i mean like they still do it and i just i get frustrated with on because i feel like dude we see you do this all the time all you do is get at the front for five laps and then you fade Burn a tire, every yeah. time and you make it dangerous for everybody for five laps for no reason, because you're not going to win. You're not going to do it, but I get frustrated and that's how I get fired up. But, but he does that. And so I think Agater shouldn't have done it. I, I, but I thought the band was ridiculous and I, I want, I think they, I think they took away a chance for a really cool race to see what Agater could do if he had to start 12th. You know, yeah. And see yeah. if he could come through the pack safely. Not like on Chu, but safely. And, and and it would have been very interesting to see. But as it was, Baldessari takes the double. He rode great this weekend. Um, another guy, Stefano Manzi, had a great weekend. Finishing yeah. second in race one and third in race two. That was great to see on the Triumph. Uh, you know, another manufacturer. Yeah, and then were, Stephen Odendahl making a return in third yeah, in, the, in race one. Stefano Manzi, those were quality wins. You know, really worked his way through the pack, especially in race one. You know, he, he, just, it, he just, it was a slow grind all the way through that race for him to work it really forward. Was. And, yep. and that was a quality, quality ride, um, in my opinion, to him. And, and really, it was great to see, you know, obviously a triumph being up there. Um, with the Yamahas, and then you know the second race we had a Yamaha, a Ducati, and a Triumph on the podium. So that's that's great. That's what we want. We talk about it all year long. We'd love to see multiple uh, manufacturers finish at the front all the time. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, it it was nice to see, and, it, and it's great to see Balder riding well again. Yeah. Um, his last couple years in Moto Two, <laughs> I wondered if he had forgotten what he was doing. Um, it just it just. He's in a better place mentally, obviously. He's doing a great job. Oh, you mentioned uh, and, it before. And, you know, I, I feel like yeah. that's kind of what has happened with folks um, in Moto2 that go to the MV Agusta team. 
Um, you know, it a little almost, bit, yeah. Because I think Agater was uh, had ridden with MV Agusta in Moto Two as well. I think Stefano Manzi rode with uh, rode with uh, MV Agusta in Moto Two, and I'm pretty sure that Baldessari, that's where he ended in Moto Two, was with the uh, MV Agusta team. Um, and, and to me, that just it, you know, it almost I almost see the MV Agusta team as the Alamo in uh, in Moto Two. <laughs> you, you know, that's. <laughs> This is the last chance saloon, you know, for you to for you to uh, to do well there, um, you know. And some some money, Corsi, uh, bless him, he's holding on, you know, and he's doing well. I think for him, he goose. I don't yeah, think they want to let yeah. go of him just yet, you know. Uh, um, yeah, no, he he's fighting for his life over there for sure, <laughs> for sure. He is he's in a cage match. Basically, this guy's an MMA fighter on a motorcycle. <laughs> That's what it feels like for Corsi. But I. I you know, I think you're right. I think you, your point about Envy Agusta and Moto Two, I don't, I don't think they give it much thought. I think they're there for just exposure, um, because they can't mess with the motor. You know, they can't. They have. There's a lot of. It's a spec class, right? Well, I think. So, yeah. So I think they actually got sued by Calix um, a couple of years ago for um, the chassis was a bit too close to the Calix chassis. And I think I think Calix actually raised raised a lawsuit or raised some concerns with the FIM or over them being copied by Envy Agusta. Um, well, I don't know the outcome, but I'm pretty sure. I, I'm pre- if I remember yeah. correctly, I think there was some chatter about that in the paddock. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I I think when Agater comes back, now let's not forget that last year Agater also missed a weekend um, with no points because he was doing Moto E. So mm-hmm. let's see what happens with Agater when they come back after the the, the summer break. Um, but I just felt like it was another instance of the FIM being complete tool bags. You know, I just, I don't, I don't understand how they arrive at what they arrive. That is what gets under your skin. That uh, yeah. is what, it's, it's that's the, what does it. So it's the, it's the same. If you want to look at it almost like F1, you know, it's the, uh, the Yas Marina issue from last year in F1, you know, whenever the, okay, the yep. we're going to tweak the rules just enough to make it enticing for all, you know, or enticing for the TV. And and I think that's what this was for longevity. That was the goal. Well, we're going to try to make the championship a little bit more competitive and take away 50 points from Dominic Agater. Um, so Baldessari can close down to him. I don't, I don't know if that's the, I don't think that's the, the purpose. They would never the, admit the, to the that. Hateful. Per- yeah, exactly. No, it's not going to happen. But I, I mean, who, who we know that the coverage is when the, the exposure and the sponsors, and there's a lot of back-end meetings. There's a lot of back-end money changing sure. hands. We know sure. that's what goes on behind closed doors. I mean, it's just, it, it's all there is to it, you know? Yeah. Um, not to say that World Superbike and World Supersport are illegitimate businesses, but we, no, know they're not. we know that, you know, money influences decisions at some level. Um, and, and I also believe that sometimes racing bodies ha- and governing bodies have to make decisions, uh, snap decisions. Unfortunately, those decisions aren't always right. Well, we see that, and if I'm in the middle of a, a MotoGP race all the time, when people get penalties and they shouldn't get penalties, um, I, so again, the, another bad call from the FIM. Absolutely, I feel like the FIM swings and misses too many times. I I feel like they're the strikeout kings of motorcycle racing. Like they're the worst, and and they're the governing body, and that's a problem. But. I, well, I think at least they're we, consistent when it comes to bad decisions. They're consistently so, poor, right? right. Yeah. No, if if a decision has to be made, you can write it down. They are going to make the wrong one. That's it. So I I, I do get that, but I I want to you know say that I, I just I just didn't like the decision, but I didn't like what Agater did either. But I knew 
when I saw him lay down, I knew exactly what he was doing. Uh, and I watched the crash. I was like, he didn't really get hit with anything. It was a LeBron I think James he's, flop is what that he was. was. A Le, he was LeBron James. But I understood where he was coming from. He was trying to, to, to grab a record. He he was, you know, and he was taken out through no fault of his own. I, I would have been a lot more upset with him if he'd have crashed by himself out of the lead or something yeah. and then done that. I would have like, you know what, dude, you screwed that up. Take your medicine. But it's hard when you've got, you know, the Turkish missile coming from behind <laughs> deciding to, to, to play, so, you know, play in bumper cars back there. So the only you know. thing I can say to, ar- to argue with you is he should have qualified better. I, I hate that argument. I hate that argument. I hate it because that means that everybody has to qualify on the front row every time. And I will tell you that the one of the greatest world champions in MotoGP – Never had to do that. But part of that was because he didn't have people coming in to scud missile him into turn (laughs) one all the time. He might have been the one scud missling. I'm not going to say he wasn't. I mean, but he he didn't do that. And, you know, we made fun of Jorge Lorenzo when he hit Rossi (laughs) that time at 150 miles an hour like a a Muppet. But at the same time, I feel like Chan didn't do that. But I I just felt like he knew. He had to know in his mind. He's experienced. Like, oh, this is not going to end yep, well for these dudes, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But but at the same time, he's like, but I got to get here, so screw that. I'm not going to take myself out. I'll let them sort it out, you know? So I, it was – but all in all, I, I, I know what you're saying about that turn at Moss. I, I It does look scary, but I like that track. I think that track is really cool. I like the way it flows through a lot of it. I especially like the last two turns. Um, yeah, yeah. Because – and, and I'm not going to be honest, like I daydream about me being on that track on the old ZX-10 and just hammering through there, imagining I'm Johnny Ray. Um, obviously, it would be a much slower pace, but I'd be having just as much fun. And I, I really like that track layout. I, I think it's really cool. Uh, and it looks like they made some improvements pavement-wise mm-hmm. pavement from the last year. So uh, all credit to them. Yep. And just another reason that uh, motorsport – and especially motorcycle racing is better in Europe than it is here. 100%. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, let's talk about that. So let's move to Moto America unless you've got something else for the World Superbike Paddock. No, I don't believe so. We can go to uh, – we can head on over to talk about Brainerd. Yeah, so Brainerd. Um, first of all, I want to know what you have to do to qualify as an international raceway. Secondly – uh, because I know what you have to do to qualify as an international airport, but calling Brainerd an international raceway to me is a little bit like calling CMP the premier track in the southeast. Like I, I just don't, I don't get it. Um, I was looking at the facility, looking around the track, and you know, Barber is supremely manicured, and the only place that rivals Barber in that regard is Coda. Um, Brainerd doesn't give me that feel. It gives me more of a mm, like there's lawnmower racing there when there's not motorcycle <laughs> racing going on. Like I, I just didn't get that feel from the track. I, I, I recognize that AMA used to go there back in the eighties and mm-hmm. maybe even early nineties. I don't know when they stopped, but I think they stopped for a reason. And I don't like how close the walls are. 
in way too many places. It's an absolute death trap, in my opinion. And I don't know if you noticed, but there were so many times there's a camera shot where they're coming down a little back straight there where I thought Jake Gagne was going to go off the pavement repeatedly. He was so yeah. close to the edge before the turn in. Yeah, that, and, white, uh, that white line. There, there was a <sighs> white line on the outside, and his. I mean, very many times, his his both tires tracked between the grass uh, and that white line. You know, I, what I, mean? I, I, that's terrifying to me. Um, because you know what was out there to his right? If he'd have done that and fallen, there was a wall there. Right. And when and when he had that big fast high side or big fast crash in, in race two. He was lucky he didn't hit a wall because he was moving when he crashed. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, but Jake Gagne did win race one. Uh, Cam Peterson finished second and uh, Danilo finished third. But I, I, I'm interested to get your thoughts about Brainerd because I don't feel like that should be on the calendar. I, I, I don't feel like they had enough air wall up. And you know what? We had a death because there, of someone hitting a concrete wall. And to me, that's never acceptable, ever. If you're going to have a, a national series there, you have to airwall everything. You know what I mean? Like you, you can't do that as a safety commission. I don't, I don't understand. I realize he crashed in a place where you would not think that that was going to happen. I realized that I realized that the chances were low, but there was still a chance and it, and it cost somebody their life. I mean, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts? I'm kind of on a I'm on a soapbox about no, it. No, 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 it's okay. Thoughts? No, no, it's all right. You know, I didn't watch the races last year um, at Brainerd, and this is the first year that I did watch them. I, I caught up with them um, this evening, actually, before we talked, and and tried to to take some mental notes about that track. Um, looking at a track map, you know, and the Moto America uh, layout that they use is, you know, there's obviously there's an outer layout I think that goes around that. Um, that, that's the, around that entire complex. And it looks like there's also a lot, it's a drag strip, you know, there's a drag strip along uh, one component of it as well. Um, but what Moto America, the course layout that Moto America uses, I do think the walls are too close. And, and you know, this doesn't look to me, um, it, it's not a motorcycle track, it's a car track. Um, exactly right. You know, it's, and, it's definitely a car track, 100%. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly... <laughs> I, I wish there would be, uh, you know, some more air fence around it for the Moto America, at least in the, I don't want to say the crash zones, because you would think, you know, like you'd said, um, that, you know, you wouldn't think that where the incident happened, you know, might not have been a, a where a crash zone. I wasn't, uh, I, I'm not exactly sure what turn it happened in. I just know that Ange had mentioned, uh, you know, that an incident occurred and that, uh, you know, um, well, yeah. yeah so happened, he saved so. the high side, and he yeah. ran off track, and and he just he he didn't miss the wall. So and, what and, turn was it at? Uh, that's that's a great question. I, I'd have to look at the thing again. Yeah. I don't remember. Uh, but, I, I, I want you know, to say five, but I don't think that's right. I I don't think. But I. But anyway, you know, in any case, the wall. In any case, there should be some runoff somewhere. And we talked about those with VIR. You know, in VIR, put that Armco barrier closer to the hog pen and the kink. You know, coming down on the start finish straight. It, you know, there, there's no motorcycles. M- motorcycles uh, are more ten- tangential, um, I think, than cars. It, you know, they they carry a lot of uh, of momentum in in a singular direction if they lose traction, and at that point, it really does become a missile. Um, you know, where cars cars are kind of going to dig into the ground a bit. Um, cars have more protective. Uh, there are roll cages in on, in cars. Obviously, you know there's there's metal where that will absorb. Obviously, tragedies still happen in cars. 
Sure. Um, it happens all the time, it, you know. Uh, but as far as motorcycles go, I think the, you have to always understand the soft tissue and coming in contact with walls, armco barriers, you know, other hard parts of the motorcycle, that soft tissue is not going to hold up nearly as well as something that is, you know, being a protective material, like a, a roll cage, a car, you know, carbon fiber bodywork, stuff like that, that, that does have some tensile strength to it. Um, right. So I, I think that, you know, I, I do think that Brainerd is a dangerous track for, uh, for riding at this level, for Moto America riding, I, I think it probably is more acceptable for uh, club racing. Um, but simply because you have to understand the level at which Moto America riders operate, um, it's definitely elevated. Their speed, than, than yep, their speeds are level. higher, and yeah, yep. and, and with that comes you know greater speed, comes greater risk, comes greater you know terminal velocity in that tangential direction if something bad happens. Um, like you talked about Jake Gagne, you know, when Jake Gagne lost the front of the motorcycle in race two, that bike was completely destroyed. And Jake Oof. Gagne was lucky that he stopped before he got to that wall because there was a wall waiting on him on the, you know, yeah, on absolutely. The that grass. So, um, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know what the reasoning behind securing Brainerd, um, for Moto America really was. Um, I don't see the allure, um, of the track, you know, and, and I kind of have the same feeling about New Jersey. Um, not so much that New Jersey isn't as unsafe as Brainerd is, but simply because New Jersey's facilities don't appear to be nearly as, as great. You know, it's a bumpy track. There's 15 different pavements, it seems like, all the way around the track. Um, things of that nature. It just, right. it, it, it's not a barber, right? It's, it's not a, no, it's not nothing a is a barber facility. except it's not Coda. something being yeah. taken care of, you know. And even, Moto, even Road Atlanta, you know, Road Atlanta's a patchy track, but. But Road Atlanta is not in, in poor, poor condition. And, and Road Atlanta still has some room um, where riders can go off. It, you know, there there are certain sections that are closer than others that if you're not careful, you'll end up in a wall. You know, if you do, if you miss your turn in and turn nine, then you're going to end up off the outside of the track if you're wide open on a, on a 1,000. Um, things like that that, that oh, you, you don't can be, be caught out, yeah. you know. Um, but this, uh, it, it almost seems that you do have to to really tiptoe around the track. But even with that being said, you know, like you had mentioned, watching these guys, even in the super sport class, the way that these bikes were getting their necks rung all the way around the track, I mean, every single rider was flirting with um, more or less the edge of a disaster. There were a lot, lots of dirt that was kicked up, lots of grass that people yeah. were hitting, um, lots of runoff that was used. Uh, you know, there's... There, there was, there was a lot. There's a lot of of potential disaster at this track, I think, and a lot of potential crashes. and And I'm surprised we didn't see at that many in the races this weekend. Well, we we saw a lot of people getting hurt in crashes there, though. We had a lot of attrition. Yeah, I mean, you know, got his wrist hurt. Yeah, and Daniel Petrucci also had a knee injury as well. So. Yep, yep. So. I'm with you. I don't know why Brainerd's on there other than maybe we just needed another place. But I think that's just a chance for me and you to open up our own track and make it a nice facility. What do you think? Working on it, man. We are working on it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So come on, Sheba. But anyway, I, I think, I think you know, Brainerd's I, – I, I don't know. It's an interesting track, especially turn one. It's like they, all, they talked about it repeatedly. Like it's one of the only places you can draft in the turn mm-hmm. – and you know you get that draft, and and that's an interesting thing. Like that's kind of a cool uh, oddity for that track. It's just 
looking at the track layout, like beyond that, it is, it is just not that interesting and it's dangerous. And I, I, I wonder why we're there, but at the same time, it is racing. And, and so I'm going to watch it. Uh, but I, I felt like, I felt what I, after, especially after the death of, of Scott Briotti, I was like, you know, man, I, I was right about this track. That's just the way I felt about it. And, and everybody's got their own opinion and that's yeah. fine. But mine is, I don't think I would choose to go to Brainerd to ride. I right. don't know there, that there I would are better, do there, there are better places yeah. out there. Um, right. So yeah. if I'm, if I'm choosing a track day, I, I, I would definitely ride road America, even though it's faster. And I know there's some close spots there. But I feel like Brainerd, it's like a close spot every other turn. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, I, I, and when I first started watching it this uh, this evening, you know, I, I actually said to Angie, I think, you know, this kind of reminds me of Pit Race. But then after I said that, I thought, you know, Pit Race has close walls, but only in the slower sections. Um, right. You know, right. Where the, there's less risk. You know, the, 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 the fastest section of the track, I think the top side of the track, um, that's got those big undulations and downhill, there, there's tons and tons of runoff at the top of the hill. Uh, before right. you finally find a wall, and I think so, the same is true down in the infield as well. Um, there, there's room to go. You know, there's there's room where you can sure. find a sure. little bit of soft spot. You know, you can stop sliding, you can stop rolling, things like that. Um, and this is and Brainerd is just not there. Um, and and I, I'd have to really look at the infield of Indianapolis Raceway again because I think Indianapolis there's more runoff at Indianapolis, but I want to say that you know obviously those walls are there too. But but the walls quite. are there, especially in like turn three, four. But absolutely, yeah, just yeah. not nearly as bad as Brainerd, though. I mean, Brainerd definitely yeah. has a. It, it's unique in its. Um, it is. And on, it I'm, is. I've, I've, I'm trying to go around the you know around the, uh, uh, around the calendar in my head to see you know if there is another location that's as bad as as I don't, Brainerd. No. But uh, I, I don't. I sure. don't think there is. I, I don't think there is. I, I would have to walk Brainerd. I've never been to the facility, mm-hmm. but. Like the whole back section of that, where there was a really hard breaking into a left turn there, I just felt like all of that was super close. And why do we lay the cones down? Like in all the places we're cutting off, why did we lay the cones down rather than stand them up? Is that a is that something we're supposed to do for racing, or is that just because we're too lazy to stand them up? Like uh, if you looked at where they were yeah, putting the cones yeah. up, where they don't want you to go, they were laying down. I'm like, oh, I don't. Why? I'd have to look see if they were pointed. The only the only thing I could think of is if they were pointed in a certain direction to make them longer. That makes um, sense to, to me. If that's what they were doing, um, okay. You know. Well, yeah. Well, let's stop talking about Brainerd because I've had enough of it. But I I think you know what we saw was a, in in race one. Mm-hmm. It was the Jake Gagne show again. Uh, no no surprise there. We saw Cameron Peterson continuing to improve. Uh, Danilo with the knee injury and everything still managing to finish third. And we saw Matt Skultz. Go ahead and finish fourth, although he was way back of Danilo. He was almost 10 seconds behind Danilo. But the thing I, I wanted to mention was that, again, Titler Cycle BMW is up there in that top five. I, I'm i so impressed with the BMW teams this year. Like, Titler Cycle has, has come out in their first year. They're running Stock 1000 and Superbike. And they're doing a really, I think, a tremendous job, and I hope they stay with it. What, I mean, do you feel that way, or am I just no, am I, I seeing something? You know, I, I do. I think Hector Barber and PJ Jacobson are doing a great job. I think PJ Jacobson actually got the podium uh, as well in race two. Um, so that it's great for those teams. I mean, this is their this is the first year that M one thousand as well this um, running in Moto America in Superbike, right? 
Yep. Because they had the older BMW, I think, last year with Hector Barbara. Um, so and mm-hmm. he was with the Shibe team even last year, I thought. But, um, you know, this is uh, – it's it's really great progress in such a short amount of time. Uh, I do think, you know, BMW at the world level has had that in 1,000 for the last two seasons, um, you know, with um, Tom Sykes and um, – uh, I think Mar- Michael Vandermark last year as well, right? And then it was Michael Scott, Vandermark. Uh, Scott uh, Redding yep. has moved over in Tom Sykes' place, so there's some data there at the world level. But no, this Tyler Cycles team for a uh, a privateer effort uh, is really, really doing well, and and I think that speaks a lot to PJ Jacobson and Hector Barbara's riders too to uh, to come to that program and to really stick with them and and help to build it and make it what it is. But no, they're definitely oh. making big strides. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. I, I think it was uh, it was really cool. It's really cool for me to see BMW up there. I hope they continue with the program. I hope Titlers is going to do more than one year. Um, they've gotten a, a podium. You know, they, they've they've even put it on the podium uh, in, in race two. Mm-hmm. They put it on the podium, you know, after Jake crashed and, and Jacobson was right there to pick up the pieces. Um, another rider that I think, you know, I, I'm just constantly pretty impressed with is Hayden Gillum. Um, I, I think Hayden Gillum, if you put him on a top level, uh, Moto America superbike, I think that guy's challenging for the podium every weekend. I, um, I, 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 he is, he's really, really fast. And I'm I, a huge, I think huge Hayden Gillum fan. Uh, I mean, I was whenever he raced in Supersport. I, I loved watching Hayden Gillum race against, um, you know, Sean Dillon Kelly and, uh, yep. JD Beach. And even um, even Richie Escalante at times. It was it was a lot of fun just watching Hayden Gillum ride. And um, it, same way in uh, in Superbike, you know. And he's a he's a bigger guy. He's like Jake Lewis, you know. Jake Lewis is tall, and you know Hayden Gillum. He's a big, broad-shouldered individual. And and to see how fast he really is on the bike, and and the fact that that bike is not, you know, a top spec Superbike. It's kind of trying to be built into a Superbike spec bike. Um, and he's doing what he's doing on. I think that's phenomenal. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, it's it's. I, I, I wish that Hayden Gillum could have you know that chance to get onto a uh, a top spec superbike somewhere and really really show well, his talent. Absolutely. Well, he's on a Suzuki, and it, and I thought we should talk about a little bit the interesting news that the Jixer 1000 is now no longer going to be offered in Europe. Um, is this the end? Or are they just waiting to develop the new uh, emission spec Jixer 1000? They're just going to keep it in the U.S. and they'll take it back to Europe later. Well, do you think it's the end, or do you think that's what they're doing? So I, I think the it was rumored that the Hayabusa was actually going to stop production after 2022, I think, or 2021, and now we've got a new gen Hayabusa. Um, so you know there there, it, there could be some traction to it, but I think a lot of it has to do with emissions. Uh, I do know that that's that was one reason I think the Honda CBR 600 uh, went away, stopped development, but was more or less because of the Euro 5 emissions. And then now we see, you know, Europe actually has a new CBR 600 now. Um, so it could be, a, you know, just a temporary thing until uh, Suzuki figures out a new direction for the GSX-R1000 platform. Um, obviously, we don't see Suzuki's at the world level in World Superbike. Um, as far no. as uh, you know, they're they're not there. Um, well, at, they at can if they're not selling them, right? They right, can't do yeah, it. Yeah, um, I, I I think this conversation kind of can quickly go into the world of the lack of interest abroad in motorcycling, and then it will eventually 
find its way into the world of electric motorcycles in the direction that the industry is going, I think, um, far and wide, you know, not just motorcycling, but in transportation in general. Um, so I think a lot of manufacturers might be pulling back the reins as far as research and development is going and, and really trying to decide, okay, is this project really worth the investment to continue down this path um, in, in a fossil fuel internal combustion engine um, to, to continue developing. So it, it's everything's coming down to resource right now, resource supply chain management, stuff like that. You and I both know we're, we're in it every day um, in our professional lives. But um, I, I think it's, I think it's a little too early to really to speculate, you know, oh, it's the end, you know, put the nail in the coffin for it. I think we're going to see something at some point out of Suzuki, but um, to play devil's advocate with myself, Look at what Suzuki did with MotoGP. You know they're completely pulling out of MotoGP. It was a shock decision. Uh, not a lot of uh, of heads up. It was just a one morning we're going to compete. One morning we're trying to compete for the championship. The next morning we're done after this season. It is very interesting, and I I, I do wonder if that will stop people from trying to you know develop Suzuki's on that level for racing because the parts won't be available, right? There's no, well, it's it, so it goes even beyond that. I think because if the, if you can't, the contingencies won't be there, obviously, you, you know, right. it's like, you know, Kawasaki right. had some of the most aggressive contingencies for club racing. Um, if you, even just a couple of years ago, and you know, it, it was impressive numbers really to go out. If you did well in a Kawasaki, you were making decent money. Uh, and it was a fast bike, you know, it was a great stock 1000 bike right out of the box. Um, you go out, get your contingency money. You get, you make a little bit of money and break even on your racing program. And it's a good, it's a good year. So yeah, if, if you if can a, break, if you break even on a racing program yeah, for a yeah. year, you're doing great. You're doing great. Cause I haven't found that I can even do that on a track day. So <laughs> I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. You come out in the black every track day that I know of. Well, that's only because you spend all your money with me, but <laughs> <laughs> but in truth, you know, I think um, you're right. I, I think that's a good point. Maybe it's too early. Maybe we'll see that. Just like we thought the BUSA was going away. It's not going away. I don't care if it goes away, but it, it's not going away. Um, and we'll see what happens, you know, in the future. But I do wonder whether or not this will impact teams choosing that platform to race next year. Uh, because the R1 will be new. The BMW will be new. The Ducati will be new. And as we see with the Shiby BMW, it's not a terrible bike. I I would put that Shiby BMW, I bet you, in a club race is the fastest thing out there and probably one of the best bikes, even with the, you know, when you have all privateer efforts. But on the superbike level, you have to have the newest thing, really, to compete. To actually be competitive, and at so, that point, I think you're going to start looking at you. You either going to have the segment of riders who are going to go out and they're just going to throw the kitchen sink at something and buy the most expensive bike out there and and buy the latest and greatest tech, um, which sure is more than likely going to be a Ducati before, um, or they're going to go with something that has been proven in the paddock that has that has a long history of winning and at you know at the U.S. level at least in a in a Yamaha. I mean. You know, a so, Yamaha's the bike to be on. Uh, 
Oh, a hundred percent. That's you what know? I was about to ask you. If you're if you're starting a race team next year, what platform are you using? So in my head, I you know if if I'm picking with my heart, I'd probably go with a with, with a Kawasaki simply because you know I've got a I I as soon as I jumped on my Kawasaki, I I, I had a really good a, we started a good relationship. You know, even though it's it's been through the ringer recently and the past year. Um, but that bike right out of the box felt great to me. There were some little things about it that I felt could be better. Um, but by and large, it was much better than, than, than the R1 that I had. Uh, but if I'm picking with my head and I'm doing something, um, and, and it also, and, and it, you're not going to be riding it. Let's be honest. You're not racing it. Yeah. You're just owning the team. Oh, I, I would, I would invest. I would go with the Yamaha then I would go with the Yamaha. Yeah. There's, I mean, I mean, obviously we've talked about it before with, the R6 platform, there's so much data out there. There's so much, that you, even just video data that you could watch, lap time data. You know where you can be at. You, you know your benchmarks already and where to get uh, where to. Get to. And, um, the, you know, there are parts. The bike really hasn't changed a ton over the past, you know, so many years. So there's, there's just a lot of data out there that you don't have to start from scratch in building your race program with a Yamaha. Right, right. I, I 100% agree with that. And, you know... The other thing about the Yamaha is that I, I think of all those bikes, you know, the Kawasaki is a little less expensive out of the box yep. than the Yamaha, but the Honda is more expensive. We know that the the Ducati is way more expensive. Mm -hmm. The BMW is more expensive. The Anything else is more expensive except for maybe Suzuki, but without any real development possibility, then... You know, and, and back in it's hard to go that to way. Get into that direction. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. So, yeah. So it, that's an interesting thing. But uh, let's move. Do you have anything else about Superbike that you wanted to talk about? I mean, no. We saw. No. We, well, I I do want to mention that you know Danilo's back in front. Um, I don't think he wins it, but I, he is back in front. Um, and you have to say that he did get a lot better in race two. I oh, mean, it looked fantastic you know, in race two, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we know that Jake Gagne was doing Jake Gagne things, but the difference in knowledge and speed in, from race one to race two was was really crazy to me for Danilo, and I thought, you know what, if this dude had uh, three more weekends on this track, I don't know that Gagne could go away and leave him. You know what I mean? Well, you know, when um, Gagne crashed, it, it was after... Petrucci had made a step forward and cut that gap down a little bit. Uh, you know, I think he was he had gotten the gap down to about 1.3 seconds. He made up a half a half a second on that lap before he actually made a mistake in the last corner. Yep. Um, yeah. And it wasn't the immediate lap after that that Gagne crashed, but it was maybe what three or four or five laps I think later. But um, he was he was still pushing. Exactly. Yeah, he was that's pushing. The, yeah, that's kind of my point. Is Gagne saw on his pit board that we know that that's the only way that they can communicate with riders while they're out on track. Um, thanks to G thanks G Dub. Yeah. So so <laughs> oh he, he, you know gosh. if he's seeing that lap time and he's like, all right, Petrucci's he's doing a little better today, and that's inside Gagne's head, and that made him push. I, I don't want to completely say that that Petrucci pushed Gagne into a mistake, but I think Gagne allowed himself to get in Jake Gagne mode a little bit too much and, you know, made a small error that, that sure. cost him that race win. Right. And it's, it's easy to do when you're on the edge, right? It's easy to do. Yeah. But yeah. I think, I think what we should do is turn, you and I should get together and watch these races over a weekend and we'll turn it to a drinking game. How many times they say Cam P. <laughs> I, I don't understand how that got to be his name. <laughs> and I didn't even know there was another Cam out there, but Cam P. 
So I think we should turn that into a drinking game. I'm sure our friend Dan will do it with us. We'll do it. Um, and there will be some real problems later after that <laughs> race is over. Um, but let's move on to Super Sport. I, Super Sport this weekend was what I've been waiting to see really for two years. And that's Rocco Landers win a race. I was really high on Rocco when he came out. I mean, he had dominated yeah. the Junior Cup. Um, and it did take him longer than I thought. But my goodness, this kid looked great at yeah, he Brainerd. Now, he he had tested at Brainerd, so he had some extra information there. But nobody had anything for him at Brainerd. And even... Josh Heron doing Josh Heron things could not affect Rocco Landers here. And I'm, I'm, you know, in race one, you know, you had Rocco winning Josh, Josh Heron finishing second and Josh Hayes finishing third, Mm -hmm. Tyler Scott finishing fourth. But, and it was good to see Josh Hayes back out there kind of messing with Josh Heron. But what did you think? I mean, is this, is this the springboard or was this just this weekend? Um, I think Josh Heron's got to make some huge mistakes for it to matter in the championship. But, I mean, going forward, do you think we're going to see Rocco right where we saw him this weekend? Um, I think so. I think I think Rocco – this is this is a, a – this is what – like you said, this is what we've been waiting for with Rocco Landers. This is what – this is the Rocco Landers that we should be seeing. Um, yeah. You know, Rocco Landers needs to be at the world level. In my opinion, he needs to uh, refine some things about his riding. He needs to refine some things about him uh, personally. I think that that might be keeping him from really coming into his own as far as a a real complete package racer. Um, there's raw talent there. there. There's a ton sure. of raw talent there. But now there needs to be a a component of a headstrong um, approach to to Rocco Landers. And I think this weekend was a huge step in that direction. Um, you know, Rocco Landers, I think they, you know, Scott Briotti, they were close. I think they were good friends, you know, so this was a tough, tough weekend for Rocco. Um, but right. then he, he capitalized on it the way that he should have, showed a lot of fortitude throughout both races. Um, it's a pretty, you know, I don't want to say it's a terribly physical track. You know, it's not not nearly as uh, as technical as some of the other uh, uh, tracks that are on the calendar. But obviously not an easy track. We've talked about the dangers that are around the track. Um, and knowing what happened on Friday, that was surely something that might have been in Rocco's head. Uh, but sure. you know, that team gave him a an amazing package. Um, also important to to remember that you know the team effort from uh, for them it's it's still very much there's no factory team in in Moto America and Supersport except for that the War Horse um, HSBK Ducati if you want to call that a factory yeah. team as much as it could be. Um, and and he came out and he handed it to 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 everyone on the grid. Um, well, this was a yep. just a dominant performance from Rocco, and it was a, it, and it just looked great in the entire race. Looked fantastic. It, it's so easy to forget that Rocco Landers is 17 years old because he's won three championships already. Yeah, he's 39 seven career, or 30. Yeah, 39 career wins or, or 40 career yeah. wins now after this weekend. So he is so young. He is 17. He's a year older than Tyler Scott, and we're ready to put Tyler Scott in the world stage, right? Yeah. Um, but I, he really did look good this weekend, and my hope is that he starts taking it to Josh Heron because I want to see Josh Heron pout. But 
the the other part is that, that oh i know everybody loves it but you know i think for him sometimes it just takes breaking that duck you know getting that zero off your board winning your first race We've seen him all year struggle with the starts. He did not struggle with the start here. That has nothing to do with the track. That's everything to do with you. Um, and well, it's a new tire too. You know, he had been struggling yeah. on new tire, and as the race had gone on, he got better and better and better. And now he's figured out how to make a new tire work. Um, at least it, in this yeah. weekend, and so that's dangerous for the rest of the for the rest oh, of the yeah, field. Honestly, absolutely. because we because when he was when he was on fire, when he was doing this, once he got that ball rolling. I mean, that guy used to get out front and just take off, and I was like, wow, he's fast. you know. And everyone else was just racing for second. So I'm very curious as we go to our next stop here. You know, I'm very curious uh, to see what he's going to do. I, I, I'm very hopeful that now we're starting to see the real Rocco Landers, the class of Rocco Landers, well, uh, yeah. it, be the class of the field because, you know, the next race is at pit race. He knows that track. He's been there mm-hmm. quite a few times. Mm-hmm. And if he can hand it to those guys there, oh, man, it's it's going to be fun talking about maybe he's the guy because he will be old enough to go and race in MotoGP at Moto2 next year because yeah, he'll be 18. I th- so I think that's a really good point, too. You know, And, and I always enjoy the progression um, uh, of riders because we, we saw two guys like Richie Escalante and Sean Dillon Kelly really just battling whenever they were both in Moto2. Yeah. Uh, excuse me. It was fun to watch. Together. Yeah. It yeah. was a lot of fun to watch. And you saw guys like Ben Smith, like Rocco Landers, who were somewhere back in the, you know, the fourth, fifth, sixth, the, you know, somewhere in the top 10, but were nowhere near the front of the, re- the, the pack. When, in, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, well, we're going to be watching these slower riders after Richie Escalante and John Dillon Kelly, after those guys are gone. And, you know, who's really going to step into this, to, to this talent pool and who's really going to kind of rise to the occasion and be that fast guy, you know, like, and because you think, think speed in terms of relativity, but now, you know, to understand that Rocco Landers was right on lap record pace. Um, and I think that the layout of Brainerd have been changed this weekend slightly, right? Uh, from last yep. year yes so yes, and to know that Rocco Landers was on lap record pace you know to me is that 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 tells me okay don't worry about that anymore you know this this is this kid's coming um and the fact that he just ran away from this race than anyone else and he we're talking did. about Josh Heron too yep. we've talked about the raw talent uh, that Josh Heron has Tyler Scott Tyler Scott looked great in race two I think Tyler Scott is doing what Tyler Scott kind of has to go through right now he's got to go through that that progression of okay you're really really fast now you've got to learn how to manage that speed throughout the entire right you know length right. of the race so we, we saw we saw landers do it last year right he yep. struggled at it takes a little bit it takes most everybody a little bit um and you're right and I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because i i was thinking the same thing because it's easy to forget how young these guys are Yep. Like, we're like, why aren't you going, you know, why aren't you leading the races and winning all the races? Oh, you're 17. You know, My bad. Kudos, to, uh, kudos to Tyler Scott, too, for burying that bike under the the air fence, digging it out by himself, yeah. and then getting on yeah. it and riding it to the pits. That- <laughs> yeah, that was, I was like, my goodness, that's dedication. Yeah, he's I'd have been like on that bike, getting it out yeah. underneath that air fence. That thing would have stayed right there until the end of the race if it was mine, because <laughs> I'm not getting under there. I'm like, well, I wish I hadn't have done that. But you know, I think, um, I think the future is bright 
with guys like Rocco mm-hmm. and Tyler Scott for America. And I, and I, but I, I'm with you. I want them out of the series. You know, Rocco the, in race two, uh, he, he only won by, let's see, in race two, he won, uh, race two, he won by 13 seconds over Josh Heron. In race one, he raced, he won by four seconds. So in, in race two, he really, he had, he really was flying. And, um, that, if I'm Josh Heron, I'm not so worried about it because I've got such a big lead. But if I make a couple of mistakes going down the wire here and this kid's riding like that, that gets, that gets pretty tight. That gets pretty tight there. Yeah. And, and um, I'm sorry, but how, I don't know. I, I, I've got, I don't know. I've got some opinions about Josh Heron and I don't know. Well, yeah. l- let's hear your opinions. That's what we're here to do. So if you're Josh Heron and you win this championship, how proud are you of winning this championship? I think you're pretty proud. Like, I mean, is this, this one that you're going to sit there and brag about? I mean, I don't, I don't know if we're going to say that, but I, I mean, he has, he has completely dominated the field. I, right. he, he's not just won it. I mean, he's he's 76 points up right now. Yeah. I mean, that's still a lot of points. And now, like I said, he's got to crash at least twice. And Rocco's got to win the race for this to turn into anything. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, and I don't no, see that I, yeah, happening. I, 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 he's yeah, going I mean, to think... win, but he's going to win easily is my point. So is he going to brag about it? No. But, you know, you still had to get out there and do it, and he did it. So he did. he's not making a ton of mistakes this year at all. You know what I mean? Like, that's he's right. not. He's, he's, he's ridden really solidly. It's just that you and I have a problem with a 32-year-old you know, taunting a 16 year old. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like when they're on the bike and the helmet's <laughs> but, on and he's, he's riding great. But, but, but I guess the issue is, but I still don't have, I don't, I don't have an issue with a 46 year old stuffing a, a 17 year old in the last corner <laughs> to get another podium. You know what I mean? Like just because we know well, Josh he, Hayes, you know, Josh Hayes isn't the, the, that was a clean pass. I mean, he oh, did. Oh, 100%. He, yeah, no, I'm it not was clean. Anything. Josh no, Hayes is a personality for all the, difference yeah. there that, you know, you know, Josh oh, yeah. Hayes is a, you know, he gives back. Um, he does. To, to, you know, he, he trains riders. He works with them. He he learns. He gives feedback. You know, he has a lot of fun, and, and you can see that passion in him. Um, Josh Heron, it's not. Josh Heron, I feel, just takes. Uh, you know, I don't know what he gives back. Um, to the sport, you know, and he brings a lot of attention. That's true. He brings a lot of, a lot of riders and a lot of popularity in certain segments. Um, but as far as quality goes, I don't, I don't think the quality's there um, from Josh Heron personally. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think you know, he's going to win the title. Do I think he needs to be in Super Sport? No. Do do I think that you know this is a great springboard for him to get into Superbike? Also, no, because he's been in Superbike and he lost that ride. Yeah, I, I don't know why he lost that ride, but he did every time, and 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 so I don't think he's gonna have that. But you know, I think it's really interesting for me to see a guy like that, you know, dominating that class. And my thought is, well, why can't you? Why can't? Why are you not better at, at keeping a job at Superbike? You yeah. know what I mean. That's where I go to, and I, 
That's I don't know. Well, we saw I, the results too, and I think that's a. That, we've talked about it before. You know, we're beating a dead horse. I think at some point we, Josh Heron's results in Superbike were never poor, um, but it was the way that Josh Heron behaved. I think around team members, um, you know, on track and the way that he his on track kind of etiquette, I think is is kind of what led us to his some of his demise um, in the Superbike class personally because sure. we're seeing other riders that arguably might not have the talent level of Josh Heron still getting Superbike rides. So th- there's something to that. There's right. a reason behind that, you know? Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, there there's, you know. I, anyway, yeah. We're, yeah, we're, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about him doing it. Like, I, I just, if I'm honest, I don't care. Right, <laughs> I don't, yeah. I, yeah I don't. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I think the super sport class is for the guys to, to move up, you know, it's an mm-hmm. educational class. You're move up learning. And get out. Yeah, that's right. You move up and you get out and you prove it. But if they're gonna, if you don't have any other options for a job and you need to make money because you have a kid, then that's what you do. So, you know, there 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 are worse things. He's not he's not stealing, but the same the same point. Yeah, do I wonder why he's out there? Of course, I wonder why he's out there. But <laughs> you know, he's on a nice bike. They gave him a nice bike. That's that's yeah. really nice. So, um. But yeah, um, I I was looking. I wanted to mention something funny about Moto America. I was looking through their uh, rider bios earlier, uh, and the rider bio page is a bunch of of the riders walking down track. You know, kind of. Well, guess who's on that thing? Loris Baz and <laughs> and a few other dudes that don't ride anymore. I'm like, you just too much to get the picture for this year. It's just too much. You know. Josh Heron's on there, of course. Gagne's on there. Uh, <laughs> Cam Peterson's on there. But I saw, like, Loris Baz, Bobby Fong. I'm like, okay. So this year's picture, that was just too much to ask. Um, I don't know. I, I've kind of covered it tonight about what I wanted to, to cover, you know, and talk about. Is Did we – oh, I, you know what? I do th- want to send a shout-out. Um, Kevin Almedo didn't race – this past weekend because he's been uh, diagnosed with Gillian Barr. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. That is an absolutely debilitating disease. Um, very, I, I would relate it to ALS in some ways. Um, and I, my heart breaks for Kevin Almeida. That is the cruelest. That's just so cruel. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's had nothing but challenges. You know, I think the yep. collarbone issue, this now, um, you know, I think he was actually isol- isolated away from his family for a long time um, yep, during COVID. COVID yeah, uh, yep. you know this. Uh, I mean, and for Kevin Almeida Somebody, to continue yeah. to fight back, um, I mean, you talk about someone that's got so much fortitude, so much mental just, uh, strength and emotional strength. I think Kevin Almeida is just a model individual of that and per- of perseverance and. Well, and they also say he's such a pleasant human being to be around. Um, yeah. Everyone that talks about him says that, and, and I think, man, that speaks volume. I, I, uh, I, I hate that. I hate that for him. Uh, Gillian Barr is just no joke. It mm-hmm. is so serious, and um, it just it sucks. It sucks that a guy that has fought through what he's fought through and been through what he's been through that just gets piled on a little bit. I mean. It feels like if anybody could get a break, maybe it would be Kevin Almeida. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I wanted to wish him the best and mention that. Um, 
there is a real possibility that we never see Kevin Almeida on a motorcycle again. Yeah, and that's a shame. And that's too. that's no good. Yeah, that's no good. And I'm I'm not happy about it. And I I just I was thinking about that, you know. Um, but I other than that, I mean, what uh, what else did you want? Did you have any news? Anything you saw in the news that you want to talk about? I know we got we do have MotoGP coming up this weekend at Silverstone. Yep. Uh, that's pretty exciting. Their summer break is over. It's time to get back to it. What are you thinking you're going to see over there in Silverstone? I think we're going to see a Quadraro long lap penalty and possibly a new winner. Um, <laughs> you know, we'll 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 see. It's uh, I think it'll be an interesting weekend at Silverstone. So there's always a chance of rain in the UK. Um, they, you know, there's actually less of a chance of sunshine than there is rain. So. Um, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. Silverstone's a, uh, you know, it's a fun track to watch. There's always a lot of drama. Um, I don't know. I don't know. What about you? What are you, what are you looking for? Well, I'm looking to see, this is an important race for both Quartararo, uh, because he's going to have some adversity, but mm-hmm. also for, uh, Bagnaya, because if Bagnaya can pick it right up, right where he ended, it's going to be tough for Pekka, uh, for Fabio in the backside of this championship this year. I think um, I think it's more but, important for Alicia Spargo, to be honest with you. Um, I think he, this is where... In terms of the him. championship? Um, well, as far as momentum, yeah. Okay, yeah. So well, to I, keep but, it going, right. you know. Because this is where he got the first Aprilia podium last year, right? I think that's right, yeah. So, I, I mean... Man, I'll tell you what. I, I, I think... Uh, where do I think? I, I, I do think you're right. That's a good point about Aleish. Um, but my my thing is I, I don't consider Aleish a threat to win the championship, honestly. And that might that might be foolish on my part. Um because I just I feel like he's uh he's good. I don't feel like he's great. Uh and I don't feel like their package is great. But Maverick is now, you know, maybe Maverick is right there now. I don't think Maverick won't figure in the championship. He's way too far back, but he may figure in race wins and the or race results at the backside of this championship. Um, but Bagnaya has got to beat Fabio basically every week now for a number yeah. of weeks, um, and he's and you can't have Fabio finishing second. He needs Fabio to make a couple of mistakes, but if Fabio does that. You know, Alicia's very close. He's only 21 points behind. To your point, if Alicia's still doing what Alicia does and putting that bike on the podium and, you know, and Fabio's messing up, that point differential will close down very quickly. Right. Um, and I'm also interested to see who's going to get this factory Ducati ride. Yeah. We, who's we who's your money it. on? I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Jorge Martin's going to land it. You know, I'm of the same mind. I, I, I just think, especially in the last three week, three races, and they just has not. He just has not shown the consistency they would want to see. Now, mm-hmm. that's kind of funny to say that because Martin has been inconsistent his entire yeah. Ducati career, but it feels like Bastianini, Bastianini is going the wrong way. Because now he's won three races. You figure he would be up at the front all the time. But he feels like he's going the wrong way. 
Um, I think there's a team dynamic that they're trying to balance as well um, within that garage. And I think they, I think they, I think with this decision of who's going to get that seat, there is an element of keeping Pecco happy on the back end that, that they're looking at how, sure, sure. Know, how yeah. that, that decision affects that collaterally and how that te- that chemistry in the garage really balances, you know, because Jack Miller is probably the best teammate that Pecco could really have right now. Um, but unfortunately that chapter is going to end soon. Yep. That's right. So we'll, um, we'll just see what they prioritize though. Yep. Well, we did see some silly season stuff get wrapped up. Um, we know that, uh, Alex finally signed with, uh, LCR, right? Alex Renz. Right. Alex Renz. Yes. He, he signed with LCR to make that official. Um, we do not know where, uh, our man, Oliveira's going yet, though, do we? Uh, it was uh, rumors for RNF, right? Uh, yeah, there were rumors for RNF along with Raul Fernandez, right? Yep. Um, but that hasn't come to fruition yet. We haven't seen that. So all we really know is that Inea and Martin will be on factory spec bikes mm-hmm. next year for Ducati, but we don't know where they're going to be because. Uh, Alex Marquez has now signed with Anaya's team, Grassini, for next right, year. Right? Yeah, I'd heard that as well. That um, that that was so. I I I mean, this is there's a lot going on right now. The silly season's in full swing. Um, I think I'm pretty confident that we're not going to see Top Rack on a Yamaha before 2024, if he ever comes. Um, you know, because I, we know I do, I'm still waiting on the Franco Morbidelli chapter on how it's going to end. Uh, I think it's going to end. I'm just curious how it's going to end. You know, do they opt out? Do they let him out early, or is he going to? You know, is he going to stick around? Well, all Frankie next cut year? his hair. He's getting serious. Frankie cut his hair off. He's he's training now. He's like, all right, starting fresh. So let's see. I mean, if Frankie can turn it around here on the end of the season and start putting up a few top fives, yeah. you know, consistent top tens. He's okay, but I I think there I don't know what's going no, on I don't with think, Frankie. I, I didn't say I that too. Uh, I didn't say that as yeah. Yamaha would cut him. I think that if if that relationship ended and that chapter ended, I think it's Frankie's call. To be honest with, you. I think that he would kind of pull the plug on that if sure. he felt that. He I don't think he wants you know, to do that. I don't think he yeah, wants I, to. No, I, I just you know this has been a, a dismal season for yeah, him. Yeah, so no, far. he's he he hates this year, but at the same time. He hears the same things they're telling Quartararo. We're going to do a ton of development on the bike. And for him, he's probably like, well, what, maybe yeah. some of that will help me. So that's a good talking point, too. I don't want to get too far into it. But, you know, um, Yamaha hires – I don't think we touched on it before. But Yamaha had hired a, an Italian um, engineer to work on, yep. their, uh, on their engine package. And I think a uh, – That's a big deal. Yeah, the V4 um, may end up you know, happening. Um, That'd be you, interesting. You know, and we've also seen, I think it was an Italian F1 engineer, XF1 engineer, right? That's correct. So, you know, that that plays to what we've talked about, you know, about F1 kind of bringing its technology over into MotoGP. Aprilia has taken some F1 cues um, from, uh, as well in their aerodynamics department. They've clearly stated that and expressed that. So uh, it's, it, yeah. it's you know, tech innovations are, are a thing, <laughs> you know. They they really are. I mean, it, that's what this is now. Also saw that they're banning the ride height devices in the front. 
Right. Uh, starting in 2023 or after 2023? After 2023. After 2023. Yeah. Dan will tell um, us we're wrong. Dan. Oh, oh well, yeah. I know that Dan knows for sure. I, 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 but I, as I sit here now, I mean, uh, I, I think, you know, I, I don't know how I feel about that. How do you feel about that before we get out of here? I mean, these are the top level riders. They're pushing a button. You, you know, if you want to look at comparatively across sports, you know, with F1, you have DRS. You have they they harvest battery energy. You know, there's there's so many. Those guys are are working computers. They're doing fails failovers in the car throughout the race. They're right. control all deleting throughout the race on the wheel. Um, and you're upset with a MotoGP bike, and you're saying it's unsafe because they have to hit a button. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think. So they're banning it for 2023. So next year okay. there will be All no right. front ride high device. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that'll be interesting. But anyway, so racing MotoGP racing returns this weekend. Um, world Superbikes on the summer break. And, you know, and I think we have, uh, they're going on August 19th They're They'll be in uh, Pittsburgh at Moto America, but anyway, we'll have stuff to talk about going forward. And, we can talk all night, as everybody just witnessed. Yeah, and don't forget, guys, with MotoGP means MotoGP Fantasy is coming back, too. So Boom! Get Free fantasy advice all weekend. Smack. We are going to have Ange's picks. The, uh, second, <laughs> yeah! <laughs> the, napping, not, not, the Napping Snake Select. That's right, we'll the it. Napping Snake. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, so everybody doesn't know Bo's wife, Ange, also known as the Napping Snake, is uh, is leading our fantasy because evidently none of us know anything about motorcycle racing. She gives me it all is, the talking points before every episode. Uh, whenever we come in and we talk, right. she tells me I need to make sure I cover this, I, that, and everything. I've been lobbying for Angie to be my talk, my podcast partner for years, and you just to be the engineer. Like I've, this is what I've been hoping for. <laughs> I hate but, you. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I think for me that that'll do it tonight, um, and. Uh, I I feel good about this new format, man. We didn't have to break it up. Yeah, I, I feel good about it too because I'm not going to have to sit and trim and cut and upload multiple stuff. And uh, yeah, I think this is a lot of fun. I think um, hopefully everyone that's listening likes it, and hopefully you have made it the entire time and you're still with us, still enjoying yep. it. And it's uh, and well, it's we a had a lot to talk about tonight. Yeah, we won't yeah. do them all this long, but we what have are you the talking option. About? Well, yes, we will. You know, we will. Yes, we will. We'll talk about everything because when the FIM makes me mad, I there's a soapbox somewhere that I have to stand on. And when I don't like something about anything, I have to stand on a soapbox. I know that. This is part of the deal. <laughs> Just get on board. Just get on board and you'll be fine. But, uh, I, Bo, you got anything else for tonight? Oh, that's it, man. I think that's it. All right. Well, if you're out there and you're going riding this weekend, I know uh, a few of the places canceled uh, this weekend. Uh, but if you're out there riding, please keep the shiny side up, that rubber side down. We want you to stay safe out there. Uh, and also, if you're not following us on social media, we are at Parkton Turn One on Facebook and Instagram. Um, we should probably do Twitter, but I don't have enough interesting thoughts to have a Twitter account <laughs> of my own. So I don't know how I would do it for Parkton Turn One. Uh, but anyway, so we're thankful, so thankful that you guys joined us this evening. I'm Jason, aka Captain Novice, saying good night with my man Bo. Have a good one, guys. <laughs>